CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Jane Adams Resource Corporation provides free manufacturing training in welding, computerized machining, and mechanical assembly. Each training program is integrated with support services, including financial literacy, employment coaching, and job placement assistance. Training is available in the Ravenswood, Austin, and Chatham neighborhoods of Chicago. All training sites are currently enrolling new applicants. Visit jane-adams.org to sign up for an application to learn more about how to start your new career today. That's jane-adams-a-d-d-a-m-s.org. I'm former Congressman Luis Gutierrez. Luis, wait, where are you? Where the fuck you? Ah, we just missed it. <laughs> Let's get Congressman Gutierrez as he runs down the door. Wait! Oh, Congressman! Wait! I'm former Congressman Luis Gutierrez. Oh, rats! <laughs> Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Tuesday, February 8th is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J O R A V is in victory. S-K-Y. Oh, he's coming back around. He's coming back around. Hold on. I'm former hey, Congressman. Luis. Hey. Oh, he's gone again. Uh. <laughs> oh, he's a busy guy. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. <laughs> it is Tuesday, February 8th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. today on the program is it first tuesday no it's like the third or fourth i don't know but maya duke masaba makes her return to the ben Jarofsky show it is in fact the second and now your host chicago reader columnist ben Jarofsky. hello everybody ben Jarofsky here we're calling this cottage for karen tuesday and here's why Kaddish is the prayer for the dead uh, in uh, Judaism. And uh, we had a ceremony yesterday for the great, the immortal, the legendary, dear friend of the show, dear friend of mine, really. More of a friend of mine than the show because, uh, unfortunately, we I don't believe Karen has ever been a guest on my beloved podcast. But Karen Lewis uh, died a year ago, the uh, legendary leader of the Chicago Teachers Union. Before that, a science teacher in the public schools of Chicago, the public high schools of Chicago for many, many years. She passed on a year ago, and so yesterday they had the what they call a yard site service, which is one year after a person has died. There's a memorial service, uh, and generally that is when the tombstone is laid uh, if they're at rest at a, a cemetery. Anyway, uh, so there was a one-year ceremony yesterday uh, paying tribute to the great Karen Lewis, uh, and I was uh, very honored to have been asked to be one of the speakers. There was a bunch of people, I think like 12 people spoke, including our old friend Sue Garza, Alderwoman Sue Garza, Brandon John. Johnson, Cook County Commissioner, spoke. Uh, who else? Jesse Sharkey, 
was uh, he spoke Brandon Johnson. I said he already said Brandon. Uh, and Bob Ryder from the Chicago Federation of Labor. And, of course, SDG Stacey Davis-Gates, uh, who was handpicked by Karen to be her uh, political liaison way back when. Uh, and, uh, you know, I uh, reflected on uh, Karen Lewis's uh, obvious uh, major contribution to politics in the city, thinking about her as a political giant who had the guts to stand up to Rahm Emanuel and send a lesson to absolutely everybody in the city. You know, it is possible, ladies and gentlemen in Chicago, it is possible to, you know, take a... a, a a principled stance in opposition to your mayor. The Sears Tower won't hop into the lake, Chicago. Well, you can't do that. Chicagoans are so scared. A lot of guts uh, Karen Lewis had. You know, I talk a big game coming on this podcast about standing up to mayors and writing columns for it, but never really done it on a public stage, you know, with uh, media watching and everybody commenting and people criticizing you and people second-guessing you and people, like, just ripping you on social media. I never had to do that. So it's, I mean, I admit what I do is a lot easier than what Karen Lewis had to do. She did it on a public stage and who knows what it was like for her alone at night or what have you, what she had to think about the consequences of what she did, but she never blinked publicly. And she was just a tremendous role model for so many people in this city. Uh, her just unafraid. And did it with a sense of humor, like that first speech she gave, uh, where <laughs> she was talking about Mayor Rahm. This is uh, early on; people were in awe of Mayor Rahm. He was Barack Obama's White House chief of staff. Don't criticize Rahm Emanuel. Don't say anything bad about Rahm. He marched into Chicago, got fifty aldermen to vote for that first crazy budget, uh, which closed mental health clinics in high crime areas. One of the Dumbest things the city of Chicago has done this century. I could I could just do a list of the dumbest things that the city of Chicago has done in the cent- in the 21st century, and that would be on the list. Closing mental health clinics in high crime areas just as there's about to be a spike in crime. Uh, it was tough economics time economic times too. So there's always crime rises when things are tough economically. Everybody knows that. So. Um, she t- defied Rahm. And I remember that speech. She took her purse and she goes, I'm going to hold on to my purse. I don't trust them. It was, it's cracking up. She was also, uh, she loved comedy. And uh, so she had a bit of the, the comic uh, element. So I was uh, reflecting on the personal and the political with her. And this is the one thing uh, that I had to admit that I, I miss most about Karen. Uh, I was very fortunate to have enjoyed many uh, conversations with her over the phone where she would just show her tremendous, vast uh, reach in terms of topics that she could discuss with good humor and knowledge. Like I said, she was uh, funny. She would make wisecracks, et cetera, and so forth. And she had a really uh, strong sense of the absurd. And so... um, uh, the line she would use, and I'm going to say it here, D, because Maya's coming on in a little while. You know that F-bomb will probably be flying. So this won't be going to Lumpkin. And it would be like, can you believe this shit? That's what she would Can you believe this shit? And then whatever unbelievable shit that was in the news would be the thing that we would discuss uh, in disbelief. And so yesterday when I was reflecting, like, what is the weirdest thing I've seen in the news in the last, I don't know, 48 hours or so. And I realized it wasn't even in the news. 
It was on social media. Yes, me, the oldest human being in the city of Chicago, gets some information from social media. No, not Twitter. Generally, <laughs> my uh, source is D.L. Hewley's Instagram feed, which I find fascinating. D.L. Hewley, of course, a great comedian, one of Dennis's favorites. Very funny man. Anyway, so D.L. Hewley put this thing out there. Uh, it was a picture of a Donald Trump rally. I think it was the latest one, but I'm not quite sure. The one that was in Texas. And you know what Trump does in these rallies uh, is he positions black people to, to be in the crowd right behind him. So you always see them when he's like over his shoulder. And it gives a sense that black people support Donald Trump. Uh, and just to make sure that you understand the significance of those black people at the rally, just so you don't get confused, taking nothing for granted, <laughs> not just he not wanting to put too much credence in the intelligence of Americans, uh, he makes sure that these black people are wearing short, shirt white T-shirts with black lettering that says blacks for Trump just to make sure could just be some random guy that just walked in or someone from the media. Ah, huh? when, when we want you to understand. <laughs> so, wow. Anyway, so D.L. Hewley posted this photo that uh, it was like a close up of some of the uh, these folks with their blacks for Trump T-shirts. And the headline of D.L. Hewley's post was these are white people in blackface. And I'm paraphrasing. It's not the exact headline. I can call it up and read it to you. But and I'm like, what? How did I not? How did I miss this? This is unbelievable. And so, D, I'm not lying. I, I, I've mastered the art of zooming in on an image on Instagram. I'm yeah. so proud of you. I know. <laughs> I zoomed in. I'm like, that sure looks like a white guy in blackface. Is this possible? Could this possibly? be a tactic that Trump's employing that they're so hard up for black people who will put on a shirt that say black for Trump's blacks for Trump, that they bring in white guys and have them put on blackface. And I'm so D I took the deep dive. Uh Oh, you fine when, uh, uh, you start Googling stuff. You know what I mean? You just you could spend a half an hour just going down a rabbit hole. But I couldn't find anything in a quote-unquote mainstream newspaper or any newspaper that talked about this as a phenomenon. So I had no way of verifying, you know what I'm saying, that if this is actual a reality. So you're saying... I'm saying it anyway. It's a conspiracy. Whoa. <laughs> Get out of doobie. Anyway, so then I read the comments, you know, uh, on Dio Hewley's comment, the, the people who follow him on Instagram, they write their little comments. And not, I didn't notice any comment, commentator who questioned in any way the veracity of that assertion that these were white people in blackface. So I'm like, I'm still thinking about this. And I was like, that was a perfect topic to raised with Karen. Like I, if she was here, I'd call her up Karen. Can you believe this shit? <laughs> and I would read her this and get her thoughts. 
And my guess is she would say, hell yes, Ben, they're capable of that. They clearly have a low regard, Trump people do, for their supporters. That's why they have them wear those shirts. If he had a a strong opinion of your intelligence, Trump supporters, he wouldn't feel it was necessary to put the T-shirt on. Just saying. <laughs> so they have a low regard uh, for their... But you know what? Who, who has a high regard for voters? I mean, I've been commenting on this forever in the city of Chicago. The people that run this city have the lowest regard for your intelligence. And folks... Why should they have a higher regard? I get in trouble with my lefty friends. They get really mad at me. Don't guilt trip the voters. Don't shame the voters. But it's true. Look at the people you vote for. Look at me. I'm a, an example. I've lived in Chicago for 40 odd years now. And I've become, in many ways, a Chicagoan. And so when Lori Lightfoot came to the hideout two years ago and promised whatever, Ben, what do you want me to say? Essentially, she said. You want me to say I'm against TIFFs? I'll say I'm against TIFFs. I was like, wow, I believe her. She said it. And now Chicagoans, it's funny, laugh at me. You actually believed it when she said that stuff? (laughs) Uh, I've been in the city too long. Anyway, I really miss Karen uh, greatly. And uh, thank you very much. I'm not quite sure whose decision it was to invite me. Maybe it was John Lewis's, uh, Karen's uh, husband. But uh, thank you very much for that honor. All right. Uh, perfect timing. Maya Dukmasova, my partner in crime at The Hideout, my former partner in crime at The Reader, and uh, still my partner in crime uh, on this show from time to time has joined us. Maya, welcome back, Cotter. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, I have something that I reached out to Maya, uh, in regards in passion. I said, you have to change everything you're doing today. You have to come on the show and talk about this. I am obsessed with this issue and I need to pick your brain and people need to hear you uh, on this topic. Uh, and it has to do with this headline in the sun times, or I think there was a story in the tribune as well. Lightfoot ties carjacking wave to remote learning. Uh, And if you folks remember, uh, Maya was on the show, I can't remember when, several months ago, talking about a deep dive article she did. Was it for Injustice Watch or The Reader? I can't remember which part. No, for The Reader. This was back in April of last year, almost a year ago. Time is just passing so fast. Anyway, uh, we took the deep dive. I go, Maya, you got to come in. You got to talk about these issues. You got to talk about how crime is used politically, uh, whether there's any substance. substantiation to this at all but before we get to that i uh i want uh, maya to put out this request regarding an article she is currently writing so maya before we get uh to the dessert which will be our discussion of of carjacking and the politics of it uh let's eat our vegetables and tell folks about judges go ahead So i just have a uh suggestion proposal demand, plea uh, to everybody in your audience uh, to please go to injusticewatch.org slash subscribe. So injusticewatch is all one word, dot org slash subscribe and sign up for Injustice Watch's newsletter. Uh, You'll see a couple of options for newsletter. You can sign up for both of them. 
Uh, but I'm really uh, hoping that people sign up for the weekly newsletter. We put it out every Friday. And in it, uh, people can read all the latest uh, coverage we have, not just of the courts and of judges, but uh, of the immigration system, of policing in Chicago. We have a growing team of amazing reporters. Um, uh, also, uh, we have the only reporter in the city specifically assigned to the housing beat right now. So um, we would love to see you subscribe to the newsletter. And the reason I especially hope that folks will subscribe is that in the next couple of days, we'll be putting together uh, a form that folks can fill out to share any experiences that they've had with any of the lawyers who are running to become judges this year. There's about 60 candidates that we know about so far. There'll be more uh, down the line as people, you know, start to file their petition signatures, trying to get on the ballot. But we are going to be starting to collect information uh, from people who have been represented by these lawyers, uh, from people who have had cases in front of uh, people who are already sitting judges and are running for an elected position now. There may be an appointed judge running to get elected. So all of that stuff is going to be advertised in our newsletter. So please uh, subscribe to the newsletter at injusticewatch.org slash subscribe. Yes. Those Uh, are the vegetables. Those are that. Well, there's one more platter of vegetables, uh, March 1st. Although I think this is like a steak flavored vegetable. It's so tasty. <laughs> uh, March 1st, uh, Maya, Maya and I will return to the hideout. We skipped February because of the surge. I believe COVID at the moment has ebbed enough for me to feel safe and Maya to feel safe in bringing people to the hideout. I know the hideout's eager to get the show going again. So uh, this is your baby. Uh, Maya was the impresario who put this one together, and it's going to be a great show. So promote the show, Maya. Let folks know uh, who will be on March 1st. March 1st at the hideout, we're going to be back and Speaking of judges, we're de- we're we're devoting our show to uh, how do people become judges in Cook County? What does it actually take to get elected? How do these campaigns work? And we're going to have uh, two very experienced uh, political consultants whose entire specialty is in judicial elections. Um, we have Mary Kay Dawson and Wallace Gator Bradley coming out to talk about all of the ins and outs and all the backroom dealing that goes on. Uh, when people are running for judge. So uh, it should be a really informative show. Uh, It's really not a topic that uh, gets discussed much when we're covering elections. So excited to get folks uh, more energized about this. And it'll be first Tuesday, March 1st uh, at the hideout, 630. And uh, you can find information about tickets online. Be five bucks as always. So everybody should come through, bring their mask, Bring your vaccination card, bring your ID, and it'll be a good show. Yeah, and I'll probably, I know when we open questions up to the audience, uh, there'll be somebody asking about the Supreme Court uh, uh, races. It's a very important uh, election uh, coming up in November for the uh, state Supreme Court, so I'm going to do my homework. I will be Not for the county voters. Unfortunately, not for Cook County voters this time around. That's that's a valid point. Uh, it's because it's district. But uh, nonetheless, I guarantee you someone will want to talk about that. Uh, my you talk judges and that's going to be in someone's mind. So uh, 
I, I will have eaten my vegetables before the show and I'll be ready to go. All right. Uh, so that's March 1st. And Maya will probably come back on the on the show uh, to promote it before March 1st. Maya, let's get down to business here. Lightfoot ties, carjacking wave to remote learning. I, I, I called you almost immediately as I saw this. And uh, I'm this is me speaking then. Uh, and then I'll turn things over to Maya. And I'd like to think that the mayor of the city of Chicago would do as much due diligence when she makes a proclamation uh, like the one she made in this article as, let's say, uh, Maya Dukmasafo would do if she were writing an article for Injustice Watch or the Chicago Reporter in regards to the correlation between carjackings and remote learning. You get what I'm saying? Like a study, an investigation, facts, analysis, <laughs> you know? I mean, if you want to be a podcaster, just come in front of a microphone, Maya, just kind of like shoot off your mouth. That's one thing, the Lori Lightfoot show. But you're the mayor of the city of Chicago. What you say really carries weight. And so um, I will now read to you uh, the uh, two substantive uh paragraphs in Tommy Shuba's uh, and Andy Boyle's story uh, in the bright one and then get you to weigh in because Maya did an exhaustive uh, research story as she said on this topic so here we go uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Monday linked the city surge in carjackings to the shutdown of schools at the start of the pandemic drawing swift condemnation from the Chicago Teachers Union during a news conference touting the early success of a specialized carjacking task force, Lightfoot claimed minors are largely to blame for the citywide crime trend she said has created, quote, pervasive fear, unquote, among residents. In noting that the continued spike in carjacking began in 2020 when the pandemic took hold in Chicago, Lightfoot drew a direct correlation to the start of remote learning, quote, Having talked to state's attorneys who are dealing with these cases in juvenile court and others, a lot of parents want to work during the day thinking their teenagers were logged on for remote learning only to find something else, she told reporters. All right, let's break it down. Do you have any general thoughts about her assertions before I get specific? Yeah, so I think the number one thing I just want to get across is that of all of the carjacking cases that happen, the number of incidents in which there is actually an arrest made is abysmally low. So when I, when I looked at the 2020 data last spring, we're talking about the same period that the mayor is talking about. As of last spring, only 15% of the 2020 carjackings had any associated arrests. That means that 85% of the carjackings, there had not been any arrests made in conjunction to that carjacking. And therefore, we didn't know anything about who was being accused of that carjacking. Very, very frequently, these things happen very quickly. People are not able to reliably identify who was it that carjacked them? How old are they? How many people are there involved in the incident? So the only data we have about who is committing the carjacking or who is accused of committing the carjacking is for 15% of the incidents. This was at talking about 2020 cases. Now, the vast majority of the arrests that are made, so of that, of that piece of the pie, of the 15% of the cases in which there are there are actually some arrests made. 
the vast majority of the arrests made are made very quickly after the incident. So if after about, you know, a week goes by, the, 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 the chances of the case being cleared and arrests being made in relation to that case just plummets through the ground. So if very few, so number one, very few people are being arrested. Okay, so, uh, and, and of the people being arrested, most people that are arrested are arrested very quickly. Now, to this claim about kids being the, the drivers of the carjacking wave, okay? Uh, so, of the people arrested, so there were like 366 individuals that were arrested, that were tied, again, those were people who were tied to just 15% of the carjackings that happened in 2020. So of those people arrested, uh, a little over 50% of those people, a little over half of those people arrested were under the age of 18. But the other half were all not kids. <laughs> okay? So not, not under the age of 18, not kids out of school, Okay. And so then the question becomes, well, so, so, the, so then the police department turns around and there are two things that happen with the way that the city misrepresents this data. First of all, they are talking about two different data sets. So they're telling you, here's how many. So the way that they like to talk about it is that we have had, um, you know, uh, 200 carjacking cases and we've made 200 arrests and you know the x number of people who we arrested are our kids okay our teenagers now what they don't tell you and this is literally what my article is about is the way that last january literally the chief of the, the chief of detectives from the police department was in a committee with all the aldermen presenting the data in this very misleading way what they don't tell you is that they don't, so they're telling you about the incidents that happened in a given month or year of carjackings. And then they're telling you the arrests that they made for, car, for carjacking in a, in a given month or year. What they're not telling you is that the arrest numbers are not t tied to the carjacking instances that they are also talking about. So a car, so a carjacking that happens in January isn't, and, and an arrest that happens in January, the arrest may not be tied to the January carjacking. The arrest may be tied to a previous carjacking. The arrest may be tied to, you know, uh, last year or last month. And the other thing that's really misleading is that they're telling you the number of individuals that they have arrested, but not the number of cases that, have, that they've actually cleared with those arrests. So uh, as an example... Uh, they arrested, again, this is talking about 2020 data that I analyzed in early spring last year. Of the 1,462 cases of carjacking in 2020, they made arrests in just 215 of those cases. But they arrested 366 individuals. You following me? So they're arresting multiple people in relation to one single incident of carjacking, which is not so surprising because... Uh, especially in situations where young people are committing the carjacking or allegedly committing the carjacking, it is, it is more likely that they're doing it in a group. 
this is just because of the way that teenagers tend to tend to you know engage in whatever criminal activity. So uh, they're way overestimating essentially how many cases they're that they're they're over reporting how many cases that they're solving, and they're making it seem like they're. Uh, the, 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 who's represented in their data sample, which is of the arrested people, they're making it seem that that's representative of who's doing all the carjacking. But that is, you you can't extrapolate from the 15% of the arrests that they make that that is representative of the entire, uh, the entire pool of carjackings that happen, especially because it's easier to catch kids than any other people who may be carjacking. Kids aren't good at driving cars. Kids aren't. Kids are very experienced with crime. Kids are more likely to commit a crime in a group, which will then slow them down and make them easier to catch. Kids are like more likely to do all kinds of stupid things that makes them easier to catch, and they are more likely to be doing this in an unplanned, impulsive way. So, <laughs> this is just astonishing to me. This entire story, in that, like, that you know. The, the, the mayor is continuing to make these claims based on very misrepresented data. And, you know, it's just being reported out there like as if as if it's the gospel truth. And I'm glad to see the Sun-Times story talk about how, you know, the carjackings were way up even before remote learning and all this other stuff. But I think that the what I'm not seeing in this coverage is 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 a con- continued finger being pointed at the at the fact that the data is presented in a misleading way by the by the police officials all right i just wanted to uh make sure i heard one thing correctly before i go Mm -hmm. with a follow-up and i was i was taking literally taking notes on what you said that's how uh carefully i'm paying attention uh although i kind of take notes on (laughs) on every interview so let's just strike that as really significant but um i believe you said there were 366 individuals arrested for how many carjackings? I just didn't get the number of carjack actual carjackings. Uh, so, two hundred and fifteen. Got it. Okay. So the point there is that there were um, more arrests than actual carjackings because, as you pointed out, uh, the the people who did or allegedly did the carjackings uh, acted in groups. Of, there were groups of them. So obviously, if you make an arrest, there'll be more arrests than uh, carjackings. It doesn't even mean that there were groups of them. What it means is that they arrested a group of people in connection to one specific carjacking incident. Yeah. All right. So, so what I'm trying to understand, and so your point is uh, that again, we're looking at a sample size of 15% of all the reported carjackings. So if we, the reason why I'm saying this folks, I'm not, this is me speaking. I'm not minimizing in any way the psychological trauma that someone goes through when they get their carjacked. I know I would be to put it mildly, very upset. But what I'm trying to do is just to get a benchmark. If we're going to have like a civilized society where we analyze our problems and try to figure out the best approach, we should as much as we can be as dispassionate about it and remove bias and try to freaking understand what's going on. So the, the first point that I'm diving in on is that it's a very small sample size of actual carjackings. So to just draw some kind of conclusion about the correlation between remote learning and children sneaking out the window 
And I know all about kids sneaking out back windows because I raised kids. But to draw that kind of correlation, I just think it's a step too far. Take it away, Maya. Yeah, I also want to add that even in the small pool of cases that have any arrests associated with them that are, you know, quote unquote cleared or quote unquote solved. Okay. The vast majority of the charges that these people are getting picked up for aren't even carjacking. They are very often, uh, the, uh, uh, possession, basically possession of a stolen motor vehicle because, the cops can't establish whether the, the the people who are driving a carjacked car were the people that carjacked that actually did the carjacking. So, if, so if people, you know, some a person or a group of people can carjack the car, leave it somewhere else, and some other people, you know, grab it and drive it, and then the cops arrest those people. Well, those people driving the stolen car did not violently grab it from someone. They found a car you know, with the engine running and decided to ride around in it. So there was one of the, there was a story uh, that, that I mentioned in, in, in the art, in my article about this, that was literally about a guy uh, reporting being carjacked. He had like a Lexus or something like that. And um, they, there were, uh, he was digging his car out of the snow um, in Noble Square. He was carjacked at gunpoint by two male attackers and a few hours later police saw this vehicle that had been carjacked at a gas station in austin and they arrested four people they arrested two boys who were 15 and 19 years old and two girls who were also 15 and 19 years old the victim who was carjacked couldn't identify any of those four kids and as the people that carjacked him and refused to press charges against them because he just was like, these I, these are not the people I recognize who actually the two people who carjacked me. So, again, like, there are uh, all these layers to how, you know, policing of this issue is happening, whether it's happening effectively, whether the right people are getting caught, whether, uh, you know, one of, one of the things, so I noticed in the the mayor's statements about this is that, you know, she's talking to uh, state's attorneys in juvenile court who are saying, yeah, there's all these kids getting charged with carjacking. Like actually the exact, what was it? Um, let me just read you the exact, how it was framed in the Sun Times article. So this is the quote from Mayor Lightfoot. Having talked to state's attorneys who were dealing with these cases in juvenile court and others, a lot of parents went to work during the day thinking their teenagers were logged on for remote learning only to find something else. Well, this is, she's talking about people in juvenile court. Like that's, you can't say that. Yeah. The kids in juvenile court were not logged into school and were like out committing crimes instead. And then say that like, this wave of carjacking that most of them we haven't solved is being driven by the kids in juvenile court. There's just that you like, you can't make this kind of leap based on the evidence and the data that we have. So, um, you know, I think that most, most concerning about all of this to anybody observing, um, is the kind of moral panic that's been created around this issue of carjacking and the issue of, of, of kids doing it, of young people doing it. 
Um, you know, the, the, the instances of carjackings are up. They ha- Well, they were up last year anyway. Um, uh, and, you know, as a lot of researchers have pointed out, you know, at Northwestern, at the University of Chicago, like, all other property crimes was down though. <laughs> so there's a lot of reasons why carjacking could be up because, you know, in, in, in tandem with the pandemic, people have lost their jobs. We had 40 million people unemployed at the start of the pandemic in this country. Uh, you know, home burglaries are uh, less likely to be successful when everybody's sitting at home. People are less on the street. There's fewer opportunities to, uh, you know, do an armed robbery the regular way of like snatching someone's purse or whatever. So there are uh, a myriad reasons why carjackings, uh, you know, could be up in general, you know, to explain why carjackings went up. Um, And again, like you said, it's not to minimize how scary that is, but also I think that the places where they were happening the most are the places that consistently have issues with crime more than more than any other places in the city it's black neighborhoods on the south and west sides where people are struggling in in a lot of various different ways and every time you see a map of chicago of like disparate you know various kind of disparities of access to resources of 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 uh just anything you might mark as like lower quality of life stuff, the map looks the same. Like the people most negatively impacted are the people in black neighborhoods on the South and West side and low income neighborhoods. So, uh, this carjacking kind of like moral panic, I think has a lot to do not with concern for those neighborhoods, but more with concern about the fact that this is happening in Noble square and Logan square and, you know, on in Wicker park, uh, and people went, from having zero carjackings there to having two carjackings there. And that's a 200% increase in carjackings. And now, you know, people are losing it. So uh, what worries me just as an observer and as student of history is that anytime there's a, there, there are panics like this that are amplified by the people in charge in the city, what you usually see is, uh, you know, uh, a pressure and a drive within law enforcement to, you know, get people arrested and crack some skulls. And a lot of our, uh, you know, history of, uh, you know, police brutality and uh, misconduct and false confessions to crimes by young people can be tied to moments in the city's history when there was an increased attention and kind of a, you know, this huge media fueled panics about various types of crime. So I'm just, you know, I I feel like what reporters should be paying attention to is like, what is happening to the people being arrested? Because one thing that's definitely not happening is that kids are letting being let off easy if they're charged with, uh, you know, aggravated vehicular carjacking. Nobody's being left let let off easy for that. And people will tell you any anyone in the state attorney's office will tell you anyone in the criminal defense bar will tell you people actually charged with that are not being let off easy. Uh, and, um, you know, these are serious sentences. Uh, they, the kids can be sentenced to very, very serious sentences for uh, these, con- you know, getting convicted of these crimes. So we should all be paying more attention to how the police are responding to this panic created about the carjackings. Yes. And I, I, there's a lot of points you made that I want to come back to, but I just, 
uh, one thing that just popped in mind when you were talking, uh, if you literally turn the page of the Sun-Times, if you're old-fashioned and you actually get a newspaper, uh, from this article about Lori Lightfoot opining, weighing in on carjackings, you will see a, an article very well done by uh, education reporter Nader Issa. I urge people to read it, about CPS putting up vigorous court fight over 2016 sexual assault claim by disabled student. It, it was It's really a stomach-turning article. Um, the way CPS's lawyers have gone into court to battle uh, this kid who's made an accusation that essentially he was raped uh, in a, a bathroom at CPS. And so they're putting him on the stand effectively. And I just find it so twisted and bizarre and inconsistent and really upsetting on so many levels that on one page you have the mayor just throwing out this gross assertion <laughs> that Chicago public school children or students, I should say, are responsible for the upswing in carjackings because of remote learning, which is kind of like her thing about how she is against remote, remote learning now. Uh, and then on the other hand, where there was a guy, there was a pretty very credible case of assault. They're fighting like hell against it as though it didn't happen. The city is so twisted and bizarre sometimes. Maya, it just... Um, Really gets my blood boiling. All right, you you used a phrase several times. I want to make sure uh, that our listeners understand exactly what you meant when you said it. You said uh, a moral panic. What do you mean by the phrase moral panic? Basically, I mean this is kind of a historical terminology. Essentially, uh, it's when it doesn't have to relate to crime, but it's basically when there's a fear of something happening in our society that's then. Uh, amplified and talked about as if it's a much bigger problem than it actually is. So uh, it's, you know, very often about stuff like crime, but it can also be around things like, you know, you know, in the blockbusting redlining era of like, oh, black people are moving into our neighborhoods or, you know, it can be around like, uh, I don't even know, like certain kinds of, foods that people are worried are contaminated, but there's actually very little data to support that they're dangerous or whatever, what have you, just any, anything that, that has to do with uh, a fear about uh, an actually very unlikely event mm. or situation. Uh, got it. Uh, and uh, what popped to my mind when you were giving your definition was the, the way in which the Trump administration uh, used a horrific crime that happened, I think, in Northern California, San Francisco, the murder of a young woman uh, by a, uh, I think it was a Mexican citizen who snuck into this country as a way of, like, trying to instill fear into Trump voters against all immigrants. And they used that, uh, that yeah. one crime, uh, horrific crime, uh, to turn you against all immigrants. So uh, that's your point. All right. Uh, here's a question I've been waiting to ask you for like 15 minutes now. Why are there so uh, few arrests being made for the carjack carjackings? Well, so this is really a question that's better answered by somebody from the Chicago Police Department, Ben. And I, you know, <laughs> I think you really have somebody on, you know, Brendan Dimiheen or somebody on your show to, to answer this. But, uh, you know, there's... Uh, the conversation about how, why does the Chicago Police Department solve so few crimes is like an ongoing perennial thing. I mean, this 
this uh, this department continues to have one of the worst clearance rates in the countries for 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 serious crimes, uh, violent crimes. So you know whether it's an issue of uh, not enough detectives or not enough good detectives or weird incentives that don't, uh, you know, that, that that make it difficult or impossible to actually do the kind of police work you need to solve these crimes. I don't know. But, you know, what what the researchers that I interviewed for the story and the data that I uh, examined indicate is that the arrests that are being made are the ones that are the easiest to make. So why we can't solve a carjacking a month after it happened uh you know, is, is, is really not something I'm in a position to answer, but I think that that is the better question to be asking and the better thing to be talking about than like the, you know, the, the amplifying unsubstantiated claims that remote learning led to kids, you know, being out, out there out of control and carjacking. Um, I will say though, the two that I, I, you know, none of this is to say that there are no young people involved in carjacking. Like nobody is claiming that there are clearly some kids who are, who are doing these things uh, or who are, uh, you know, who, who are being accused of doing these things and uh, you know, getting convicted of these crimes. And uh, in my article, I also had some perspectives from, um, you, you know, people who work with young people, young people, organizers, folks from uh, good kids, mad city who, who were basically reflecting on, their peers and 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 you know if if there if we are having a conversation about like why why would a young person carjack you know there i think there's some really valuable perspectives to be gained from young people themselves about what's happening in the community and what kids needs are and like what you know what 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 would put a 14 year old in a position to where at the end of the day they're getting arrested for alleged involvement in the carjacking so I encourage everybody to read the story. Uh, it's called Politics of Fear. Are youth really to blame for the carjacking spike? And you can find it at chicagoreader.com or just Google my last name in carjacking. Uh, and uh, this, I think, falls into a larger category, which uh, and I'll be watching this as time goes on. And it's sort of like uh, political conclusions dressed up as uh, sociological explanations uh, that politicians are drawing from consequences of the pandemic. And I'm watching this happen. So particularly this was a very pervasive during when the, uh, the mayor was uh, battling with the teachers over whether to uh, have remote learning right after the, the schools reopened uh, after the Christmas break. And um, the mayor was trotting out all these statistics about uh, suicide rates that are, have supposedly gone up. Depression has gone up among, uh, among kids because of remote learning, uh, horrific eating habits, uh, just depression, et cetera, and so forth. And, uh, and now I'm watching this, the, it being extended into an explanation for crime. And look, I don't want to relitigate the opening of the schools. We, we talked about that extensively on the show, Maya, but I fear this is going to happen more and more down the road uh, politically. Uh, and uh, like, there's some kind of obviously an advantage that Lori Lightfoot sees in presenting the school children of Chicago as a culprit. 
Do you follow what I'm saying in this uh, in this narrative, the way she puts it out? There's some kind of political advantage that she has to it. And I'm just I'm trying to decipher and figure that out. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, just looking at it from 30,000 feet, it's almost as if I mean, everybody knows about the kind of political battle between the teachers union and the mayor and the mayor, you know, whoever the mayor is, frankly, like, it's not as if this is new with Lori, but you know, the standoff is typically like, you know, the mayor wants the schools to work and the teachers are preventing that, you know, progress. They're preventing, they're, they're doing things that aren't about the kids and they're, you know, they're, uh, they're, uh, you know, standing in the way of improving our schools, improving test scores with their, you know, with their pesky labor politics. That That's like an age old thing. We see it every time there's any kind of dispute between the union and the mayor's office. But this kind of drawing a connection between remote learning and carjacking, it, it seems to me that it isn't just a way to once again, um, to, you know, throw a rock at the adversary, at the political adversary that is the teachers union, but it's also a way to kind of promote a certain solution to the problem of children that is, that that's being proposed because I mean, what you hear a lot in these spaces around like com- public conversations about carjacking, what I hear in like neighborhood meetings and city council public comments on this issue is like, Person after person will get up and say, we're not being hard enough on these kids. These kids are running out of control. They are not submitting to authority. They're they're this or that. There's this kind of constant demonization of kids and youth culture and how we need to crack down. We need to be harsher. We need to crack down. We need to crack down. And I feel like this narrative about remote learning and kids being not in school and therefore like not in a, in a position where their vile uh, impulses are somehow being restrained and caged, you know, like all of it is just like, it's very much not, um, it's, it's like, it's like implying that these children are like these, like out, out of control, scary entities, these like bodies that need to just be controlled, you know, that need to be, in this like, you know, panopticon of the school system, you know, like, look, some of, some of the young people that, that, that may be involved in, in, in committing crimes or whether it's carjacking or, you know, whether it's gun violence or whatever it is, like a lot of these kids aren't even in school at all to begin with. Like these kids may have like stopped going to school two years ago, like before the pandemic, you know, the, this is not, a lot of these kids have been failed by school long before the pandemic, long before remote learning, long before our completely like lackluster public health response to this issue. Um, you know, they're they're but they're but they're children. And, you know, the minute that like they're already children that are that are kind of constantly stripped of their status as children by this kind of commentary in our society. But they're also like, you know, they they a few months go by on a calendar and suddenly they're not 17, they're 18 anymore. And, and then it's like, you you know, the government gets to completely wash its hands off any responsibility for them, but their life circumstances may not have changed at all. Life has gotten harder, not easier. You know, their kids in foster care, their kids with 
like really terrible histories of trauma and abuse and, you know, constantly associating them only with crime and not with like, what else are they doing? That's not crime, which is most of their lives are like, even, even if you take like, you know, the most, uh, the, the, the most difficult and troubled child, like their most of their existence day to day is not going to be like committing vicious crimes at the end. You know, there it's, it's, uh, these are kids. These are kids who live in our city and they deserve care and respect. Uh, and I feel like it's really, um, unfortunate when adults in power and in positions of power and authority, um, you know, get to just basically use them as a scapegoat for political purposes in a way that really makes their lives more difficult and dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and I, to that, I would add is, uh, it's, <laughs> So twisted again, politics in Chicago. Uh, so the teachers lost and the students lost, I believe four days of classrooms uh, learning this uh, last month because of the lockout. And um, right now when the teachers went back, they said, okay, we want to add those four days back to the calendar so that uh, first of all, we get paid for the four days uh, that we're missing and our students get education that they need. And Lori Lightfoot of the Chicago Public Schools won't commit to that. And that's an issue in the upcoming election against Stacey Davis Gates for re-election. The teachers are, there's teachers mad at her because the teachers lost four days of pay. And I'm like, this city is so weird and twisted. My, on one hand, you got Mayor Lori Lightfoot going lock them up because if, because of remote learning, you know, the kids are running wild, stealing uh, cars. And on the other hand, she wants to send a message to Stacey Davis Gates and the teachers union by not giving them those four days. Well, Hey, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, don't you want to put the kids in the classroom so they're not stealing cars? Do you get what I'm saying? It's quite a giant mixed message. Maya Duke Masava. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, you've been, you've been around for decades of, of this, of this circus act. So you know how it goes. That is well put, and I think that's a good spot as any to end it. I've been around decades of this. I'm going to write that down and steal it. Decades of this circus act, absolutely. Uh, and uh, and just let's pause for this one. The notion that kids didn't play hooky in school until remote learning came around. I'm like, man, kids have been playing hooky from school forever. So anyway. Maya, I knew uh, you would deliver if I reached out to you, and thank you for delivering. Uh, one last time before we head out, remind folks, March 1st, put it on your calendars. Take it away, Maya. Yeah, March 1st, 6.30 p.m. at the hideout. We're having we're back with First Tuesdays. We're talking about how the heck people become judges in Cook County, how you get elected to that position, and how, how people manage to stay elected forever, basically. Uh, we're talking all about that. Um, and please, folks, uh, go to injusticewatch.org slash subscribe and um, pop in your email and uh, sign up for our newsletter at Injustice Watch. We'll, that's where you can find every week. We just send one newsletter Friday mornings. You get all of our uh, links to all everything we've published and uh, we will be um, engaging the public and raising awareness about judicial elections like we do every year. So um, follow along. 
Very good. All right, Maya, thank you very much. Appreciate it as always. Talk to you real soon, okay? All right, thanks. All right, that's great, Maya Dukmasov. I also want to thank the man, the legend, the pride of joy of all in Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And pretty much the only thing Maya and Lori Lightfoot clearly agree on is that uh, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out. Petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.